Bible study this morning. We have week number six of our series, Deception in the Last Days, will be a topic today in the church. Behold, the days are coming is the name of our series. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4. So in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 2. And then you can flip over a few pages and hold um, and mark where I'm going to be reading from 2 Timothy chapter 4, actually the first four verses. And then I'm going to be reading from chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, kind of put it all together. So 1 Timothy chapter 4 is Paul's writing to Timothy. Part of what is called the pastoral epistles. And we do read in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And as you flip over a few pages, let's read from 2 Timothy chapter 4. Remember, these are the last words of Paul the Apostles. He is writing from that dungeon that he is in, in his final imprisonment right before he's executed. And as we read in chapter 4, 2 Timothy, verse 1, that I charge you, Timothy, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, he will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And let's pray. Father, we do ask that this morning, that as we look at this last day's apostasy that we're warned about throughout the scripture, that, Lord, we would really take it to heart. We would apply it. It means something. We're being warned. And Lord, I pray that this morning we would be attentive to these words the Apostle wrote, inspired by you. And that, Lord, that we would go away trusting in what the Word of God declares to us. Father, I pray that we would be attentive, that we remember to turn ringers off our phones, be established in our chairs. And Lord, we have a few minutes in your Word. But something that is a very important and that is that we can trust in your word given to us, and it is profitable. So, Lord, bless this time in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in the Olivet Discourse that we have recorded in the Synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the disciples had come to Jesus and asked him, What is going to be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus gave that teaching that we call the Olivet Discourse because as they asked them there, as they were looking at the temple and the large stones, Jesus said not one stone is going to be left upon another. He would leave and cross the Kidron Valley and go up on the Mount of Olives and they would come to him and they would ask him that question about the sign of your coming in the end of the age. So Jesus, as he's teaching them, is called the Olivet Discourse. It's the second longest teaching that we have of Jesus in the Gospels next to the Sermon on the Mount. And in the very first thing that he would say to them was, Take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. He would say later in that teaching that in the tribulation period, that final seven-year period called Daniel's 70th week, 
the tribulation period, that uh, that final seven years of right prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, that there's going to be false Christs and false prophets that will rise up showing great signs and wonders. We discussed last week that in our topic of the rise of the Antichrist and the tribulation period, that in that time there's going to be a false church supported by the kings of the earth. Revelation chapter 17 tells us. The Antichrist is going to support that false church. And we see it as we read that chapter of the book of Revelation that it is this false church described as the mother of harlots, the woman who was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. As she's writing the the beast, speaking of the Antichrist, then the Antichrist turns on that you know, false religious system as in the middle of the week, in the middle of that seven years, he's going to go into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. He's going to declare himself as God to be worshipped as God. He's going to command the world to worship him. And as I mentioned last week, that's something Satan has always wanted, to be worshipped. And anyone who does not take the mark of the beast or does not make their allegiance to the Antichrist at that time is going to be martyred, many of them. Many of the tribulation saints, many of the Jews are going to be martyred. There's going to be a remnant of them that's going to flee to the rock city of Petra. We know that he makes war with the saints and prevails, Revelation chapter 13. But we also know that his end will come in the false prophet at the end of the tribulation period. Paul here at this time, as he's writing to his young protege, Timothy, Paul is at the end of his ministry. He's going to be passing the baton of ministry on to Timothy. And Timothy, at this time, is pastoring the church at Ephesus. Paul would take pen to parchment. He writes in 1 Timothy, and then a few years later, that in his second and final imprisonment in Rome, he writes 2 Timothy, as I've already mentioned the last words of the apostle. And as you read these two pastoral epistles, there's a major theme that is there. And that is Timothy. He exhorts him to continue to teach sound doctrine and to keep fighting the good fight over 25 times we see in these two epistles. And in these letters and in these epistles, Paul gives a prophetic warning about the last days. Apostasy and false teaching. And I believe that we're seeing that in much of the church today as Paul makes an amazing statement in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that we read. And let me read it again. That the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Timothy... The Holy Spirit has revealed that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. And they will embrace doctrine that is false, it is demonic, and it is deceiving. Now remember that Paul, when he's writing his second letter to the Corinthian church in chapter 2, he would say, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. Don't be ignorant of his schemes. And we know that Satan has always come against the church and bringing persecution ever since the earliest days of the church. And we know that he's done it for the last 2,000 years. I want you to keep in mind that he's still bringing persecution to the Christians in different parts of the world. Many Christians are being put to death. You have uh, North Korea, you have in the Far East Christians that are being persecuted. In the Middle East, the fastest growing church is in Iran, but Christians are being put to death. They're being in prison in different parts of Africa and in South America. And we don't see that persecution to that degree here in our nation. I'm, I'm thankful for it. But we need to pray for our brothers and sisters that are really going through great persecution and 
I know this. I pray for revival. I pray for a spiritual awakening in our nation because I believe that is the hope of our nation. But we very well could see persecution that increases in our own nations against us. We're seeing that there's a, a more of a hostility towards us in the day in which we're living in. And that very well could increase as we get closer to the return of the Lord. So we just talked about how the tribulation saints last week, they're going to be martyred. We know that Satan has always persecuted the church, continues to do so. But also another tactic that he has is he joins the church. And what I mean by that, he does it by bringing false doctrines and lies and doctrines of demons. And it will culminate to a false, a worldwide false church in that time right prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. The tactic of the enemy is try to get us to believe in lies because he's called the father of lies. He's a master counterfeiter. He will bring a false gospel. He will bring a false hope. He will bring a false savior and a false salvation. Denominational and independent churches, and even the trend seems to be that more non-denominational churches, and when I use that word church, the church at large, are abandoning more and more the authority of the Word of God. No longer believing in the inspiration of Scripture. No longer believing in the infallibility or the inerrancy of Scripture or the sufficiency of Scripture for our lives. There are those who have just plain abandoned the gospel. People are being told more, those behind the pulpit, that you can live any way that you want. You can live in sin. You don't need to repent of sin. Just be a good person and you'll have salvation. I remember a few years ago that there was a pastor here in, in this town writing uh, an opinion, an article right around Easter time. And he was from a progressive church, and he actually stated, as he was saying, just love one another, accept one another, any you know, lifestyle that people live in. And he said that the gospel is an offense to him, the cross is an offense to him. And, and I read that, and I couldn't believe it. And, and that's what we're seeing more today. The cross being an offense, we just need to love and accept one another. And when anybody says that to us, that, that we're just to love others, yeah, we are to love others, but we are to speak the truth in love, is what Ephesians tells us. To love them enough to tell them they need to turn from their sins and surrender to the one, the only one, who has made atonement for their sins on that wonderful cross. And what is sad and tragic is we see more in the church that is being influenced by culture being influenced by the philosophy of the world, traditions of men. Remember, Paul said, don't do that. You're going to be cheated. Buying into the lies of the world, which is all brought about by Satan, to get people to believe deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Paul, when he established the church at Ephesus, that Timothy, that he said, Timothy, in the first chapter in First Timothy, he says, listen, that I left you here in Ephesus so you can establish sound doctrine again. In Acts chapter 19, on Paul's third missionary journey, he made Ephesus his base of operation. He stayed there longer than any other city on his missionary journeys. The city was given over to the gospel. People were giving up their occultic practices and bringing their magic books and burning them. We know that they stopped buying the idols, the little uh, silver idols of Diana and, and the silversmith that were making a living on it. They got so angry, they rioted against Paul. The whole city broke out in a riot. 
Paul was then driven out of the city. You move into Acts chapter 20, Paul would be on his way to Jerusalem. He was stopped to address the elders at Ephesus in chapter 20. I love Acts chapter 20 because it's the ultimate pastor's conference. And he just pours out his heart. He says, you know what kind of man I was in all seasons, not holding anything back, experiencing persecution by my brethren. They said that tribulations and chains await me. The Holy Spirit has testified. But I don't count my life dear to myself. But I'm determined to finish my race with joy with the gospel that's been given to me. And I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. And take heed to yourself and then to the flock, which he purchased with his blood. And he would go on addressing those elders that he said, you'll see me no more. He would say to them, you know that how I warned you day and night with many tears that there's going to be those savage wolves that will come in among you speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. And there are those today that are drawing disciples after themselves. They tamper and they deny God's truth concerning the holy institution of marriage that is to be between a man and a woman. There are those who tamper and deny God's word when it comes to morality, purity, righteous living. There are those who come along and tamper and they deny God's truth about creation. And yes, even about the coming of the Lord. And Paul writes his final words to Timothy as we read in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says the time will come, not that it might, but the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will have their own desires. They will bring teaching that is not sound. It's not true. It will cause people to have itchy ears. And there are plenty of people that have itchy ears. And unfortunately, there's too many teachers behind the pulpit that are willing to scratch those itchy ears. I want us to always remember that God's word is to be declared. And there are those who... As they teach, it sounds good. It pleases the flesh. I can embrace what culture says I'm to. I can live any way I want. I can believe that salvation just comes apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, I can just be a good person. That God can be, you know, expressed in many ways. And there are those who are hearing that message. They're not hearing the message of repentance. And submission to the Lord. And submission to the word of God. There are those, I am unbelievable, over the last 40, 50 years, how many have bought into the prosperity gospel, which, by the way, is not the gospel. And there are those who are told that if you just plant a seed faith, and of course you send it to me, you know, then you'll get a hundredfold back. And if you just have enough faith then you can name it and claim it, and you'll be healthy all the time. And we see it, that's what's emphasized. Paul would write about those who were greedy in in 1 Timothy as he concludes the epistle. He says that those teaching godliness is a means of gain, and we know that he's talking about financial gain because of the context. He said, from such you are to draw yourself from. And those who desire, and that's the key to be rich, You see, it's it's not a sin to be wealthy. If God has blessed you financially, we know that Abraham, he was wealthy. He was a friend of God. We know that David was wealthy. 
He had a heart after God. Solomon was wealthy. He had golden sandals. He had the wisdom of God. Joseph of Arimathea, council member, history tells us, and it's recorded that he was one of the wealthiest men in Israel, had a prominent position, but he would risk everything as he went to Pilate and said that I asked for the body of Jesus to prepare him for burial, to put into his tomb that had never been used. And it would cost him. It would cost him his position. It would cost him, you know, his, his livelihood. But he said, I don't care. Because he died for me. And he would ask for the body of Jesus. You see, Paul writes, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts, which draw men into, you know, destruction. And perdition and the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil from which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Today, concerning the last days, we've touched on some teachings that I strongly disagree with. But there's strange doctrine that's out there. There's one that's very popular, particularly among young people that has been gaining steam and, and popularity and being embraced by many Christians. It's called the New Apostolic Reformation. Listen, there's nothing new about it. It's just repackaged Kingdom Now theology, repackaged manifested sons of God. Um, and what the, the doctrine says is there's going to be this great empowering of God through apostles that are raised up. Through prophets, these are super apostles, if you would, super prophets. Does it re- kind of remind you of anything? Paul, when he was writing to, to the Corinthian church, the reason he's writing to them, because they had embraced these most eminent apostles. These guys that were coming on, and they were burdening the people, and they said, don't listen to Paul the apostle. He's just a, you know, his speech is contemptible. He's wearing those tent-making clothes, all sweaty. Don't listen to him. And Paul's writing and he's saying, listen, we didn't come peddling the word of God. We came to give you the gospel. You're living epistles through the ministry as we've served you. We didn't take from you. And he would say to them, the more I love you guys, the less I'm loved by you. And these guys that you're putting up with were even punching the people in the face. He said, you put up with it? They're false teachers. They're false prophets. The ministers of Satan, because Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. So there are those who will come along that sound very, very convincing. But they are not according to the word of God. And I believe that in these days that the church, we're to move out in power and direction of the Holy Spirit. As I have already said, that I pray for spiritual revival and a spiritual awakening but nowhere do i see in the prophetic timeline that we the christians as the belief goes as these super apostles and prophets that are amazing working amazing things miracles as uh, they have amazing prophetic visions and the church is going to grow and grow and there'll be mass healings and the church will take over government and education and art and family and media and then we'll usher in the second coming sounds glorious doesn't it sounds wonderful but it's not according to scripture nowhere in the prophetic scenario do we the church take over the world we know in the last days that they will be very difficult perilous times we know that there's going to be a false church that's going to be on the scene 
And as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, the previous chapter that we read from, that Paul, he says that in the last days will be perilous times, very fierce times. What I find interesting is that word perilous is used one other time in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 8. He borrows that word in the description of the demoniacs that were there in the Gadarenes. He says they were very fierce. It's going to be very fierce times, very perilous, difficult times. And then in verses 2 through 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're told of the characteristics of men. Men are going to be lovers of self. Be lovers of money, you know, uh, boasters, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. The list goes down, brutal, despisers of good. And we see that that's the characteristic of what we see that people today are becoming more and more like. And he would say to them in verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying his power. And from such people turn away. It will be perilous times, Timothy. Because of the wicked and depraved ways of men. And then verse 5. There will be those who seem to and sound like. And pass themselves on as being religious or godly. Having a form of godliness. But denying its power. And from such people turn away. We know in the early church that they were dealing with false doctrine. The first epistle of Paul. He writes to the Galatian believers. To the churches there. And he says I marvel that you turn away from the gospel. Which is not the gospel. And we know there's only one gospel. He would warn them and the other writers of the New Testament against the legalists, the Gnostics that were denying the the preeminence of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, uh, the, the deity of Jesus Christ, the mystics that were coming in. There's mention of false teachers throughout the warning of them throughout the New Testament. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, let me read in verse 6. For of this sort of those who creep into households and make captive of gullible women, loaded down with sins and led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there are those who come, have a form of godliness, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They creep into your homes or they come into your homes and take captives. Those who are gullible and vulnerable will believe anything if it sounds good or is packaged just right or if it is very convincing. I think today, and I'm not trying to be critical, but just an honest evaluation because I talk to a lot of people. There are those who will listen to endless YouTube videos, other media platforms. They're being told that there is no no millennium reign, that we're in the tribulation period. There is no rapture of the church. Matter of fact, I got a letter yesterday from somebody up in Montana that wrote, it was actually to you, to Calvary Chapel. And what you guys are supposed to do is tell Pastor Jeff not to teach on the rapture of the church anymore because it's a false doctrine. And he rambled on and reading it, and it's like, oh, yeah, I know who he's listening to. He's listening to these because it's about the 20th letter that I've received from somebody. And there are those who will listen to a lot of teachers. They sound very convincing, but it's not sound doctrine. And we need to always remember that John tells us that we're to test the spirits to see if they are of God. Because many false prophets and teachers have gone out into the world. And always remember this, that the word of God is our final authority. And we can spend a lot of time on social media and watching YouTubes. I'm not telling you not to do that. 
or some kind of media platform or social media or whatever the case may be. But read your Bibles. Don't forget to do that. And in verse 8, as he's writing to them, he says, Now Janus and Jambres resist Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds and disapprove concerning the faith. There will be the counterfeits and those of corrupt minds. Who's Janus and Jambres? Well, they resisted Moses. They're not specifically mentioned in the Old Testament. It could be some scholars believe that they were magicians under Pharaoh. At least that's according to the old Ten Commandments movie, you know, Charlton Heston, Bill Brenner, you know. And Charlton Heston comes to uh, Moses, to, to, to Pharaoh, and says, Thus says the Lord, let my people go. And he throws down his staff, and it turns into a serpent. And then your old Brenner, Pharaoh, he says, Janus, Jambres, come out here. And they come out, and they throw their staffs down and turn into serpents. But Moses' serpent ate up their serpents. And there are counterfeits. And as you read the book of Exodus, you see that Moses, that he would turn water into blood. And they would, the magicians, would find some water that wasn't polluted, and they turned it into blood. And then he called up frogs, Moses did. And frogs were everywhere, in people's homes and in the cabinets. And Pharaoh calls his magicians, and they call up frogs. You know, Satan can work miracles. He's not the opposite equal of God. But he can work miracles and signs and wonders. We're told that very clearly in the scriptures. And so Pharaoh says to Moses, entreat of the Lord to take these frogs away because my magicians can't do that. You see, Satan will work, but it's always to make things worse. It's always for your destruction and deception. The fourth plague comes along, there's lice. And for whatever reason, Pharaoh wants more lice to come up. He calls for his magicians to call up more lice. They said, we can't do this. This is the finger of God. In the last days, there will be false prophets and teachers, we were told, working according to the power of Satan. Verse 13 of chapter 3 here, we we're told that evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Not that they might, but they will. Deceiving and being deceived. We know that there's going to be those that are going to have corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, imposters and counterfeits that will be very intelligent, charismatic, great speakers and orators, but they come against the truth and they hold people captive by their deception. Calvary Chapel... This is real. This is real. There is a real battle that has taken place in the day in which we are in. And there is a war against biblical values and truth. And there are those who bring deception, and some of them have a very large following. But we do read in verse 9... But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. They're going to progress no further. It's like God is saying, I, I draw a line in the sand, and these guys will go no further. And that will include at the culmination of things when Jesus Christ comes back to establish his kingdom. The Antichrist and the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire. 
So as we read these warnings here, what is it that we do? What does it mean for you and for me today in the days in which we are living in, in these last days? You see, I get a lot of information about how we can reach our culture, be relevant today, how we can embrace culture, how we can reach the next generation, how, you know, we can, you know, all these things, how, how we can speak to them. And, and there's a lot of thought and theory out there even on how we can reach the generation in which we're in. I think that Paul gives us the answer very clearly in the next verses that I'm going to read to you. You want to underline it. After he says that evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, verse 14. But you must, this is imperative, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me tell you about this Bible, this book that I'm reading from. Let me tell you about the book that you hold in your hand. It is the very breath of God given to us. And it does not change. It is truth. And it is alive. And there is power in the word of God. And there is power in the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. There is no power in entertainment. There is no power in hype. There is no power in being culturally relevant. There is no power in those things, in man's traditions and philosophy of man. But there is power in the word of God. And it has stood the test of time. Let me tell you about that book that you're holding. Do you know that there's no other book that has been in greater circulation or even come close when you compare it to the Bible? And the word of God has been under attack since the beginning of time. Ever since that serpent said to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, Hey, did God really say that? When it comes to the Bible, the 66 books that you hold in your hand, that you have the privilege that you get to read in your morning devotions or daily, and I pray that you do, that's more valuable than any gold the sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. That we get to study on Sunday mornings when we gather here and other times during the week in different Bible studies. You see, this book here, in the day in which we're living in, more and more people are saying, well, it's insignificant. It's outdated. It's old. Today, we're sophisticated. And the Bible's only for the weak and the gullible. And those who are needy, even those who are foolish. Well, let me tell you, this book is inspired by God. And it has been read by more people and more languages, far more than any other book in the history of mankind. There is no book that can compare to the Bible. So don't let anyone tell you that the Bible is obscure or irrelevant or insignificant. 
because the facts do not support that at all. Don't let any so-called skeptic or scholar or professor or philosopher or relative or friend tell you that the Bible can't be trusted and it's been changed over time because it has it and it can't be trusted. It is the most influential document in the history of planet Earth. It has been under attack from emperors and Caesars and kings, presidents, college professors, politicians, and the media in Hollywood. You see, they're not attacking the Koran. They're not attacking books on New Age philosophy. They're not attacking on how to be culturally relative. They're not attacking books on Wicca or the Koran. There's an attack on one book, and that is the Bible you hold in your hand. And keep in mind, it's because it's a spiritual battle, and Satan does not want you to know the truth of God's word. And all those who have tried over history to rid the Bible have come and gone. And all those presently that are trying to rid the Bible will come and go. And they will live. And they will breathe their last. And the Bible will stand. Because the word of God is for all eternity. And Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This amazing book you hold in your hand, 40 different authors, all different backgrounds. Moses was a shepherd. David was a king. Amos, a herdsman. Nehemiah, cupbearer. Daniel, a political advisor. Luke, a doctor. Matthew, a tax collector. Paul, a rabbi. Written in different places. Three different continents, Africa, Asia, Europe, over a 1,600-year time span, written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And as this book, we read it, we know, and as we study it, gives one harmonious message concerning hundreds of topics, even controversial subjects, and yet we have one unfolding message of God's redemptive plan of salvation, the Lord's return, about forgiveness of sin. And I dare anyone to gather 40 different authors to write on different topics and see if you get a harmonious message from all 40 authors. I guarantee it won't happen. The Bible that's in your hand, it is divine. It is a supernatural collection of writings that is the very breath of God that is put to the page. All 66 books, 1,189 chapters, 31,175 verses. And Paul, who is writing this last epistle in his last words, he says it's all inspired. It is God-breathed. And it is all of it, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, it is profitable. The scriptures are a great benefit to our lives and for the church. And we need to remember that we have the inspired, infallible, inherent word of God from an all-powerful and knowing and all-loving God that has given us his word, and it is profitable. 
And we will reap the benefit of the word as we learn of salvation and his love and how to live and experience life the way it was meant to be experienced. To live in freedom because you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's not to hurt us. It's not to, uh, to put us in bondage. God's not trying to, to make our lives boring and all of this. It's not to be burdensome to you. But this is the commandment of God. The, that the love of God is keep his commandments. And it's not burdensome to you and to me. Do not buy into those who say the Bible is outdated and old school and it's your parents' religion. We need to progress. We need to be open to interpretations. It doesn't apply to us today. The word of God is profitable in doctrine. Paul would say to Timothy, you followed my doctrine carefully. Paul in his exhortation for Timothy to continue in truth, he's saying, I didn't make this up. It came from God. Is profitable for, for doctrine when it includes teaching truth. He would say, as we read in chapter 4, the last exhortation, that you preach the word. Timothy, you preach the word. And therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance, you preach the word, and you be re- ready in season and out of season. Doctrine is important. The scripture tells us of the character of God, the plan of redemption, the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of sanctification, the return of Christ. The Bible keeps us in sound doctrine. There's so much strange doctrine that has come into the church. We know the scriptures are profitable not only for doctrine, what is right, what is true. The best way to be established in sound doctrine is go through the scriptures and to go through it book by book, chapter by chapter, Verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, here little, there little, as Isaiah writes. It is profitable for reproof. So doctrine is what is right. Reproof deals with what is not right. As we are established in sound doctrine, what is true, we can bring reproof. As it speaks of rebuke. So when people around us say, just believe anything that you want, You can believe in any God, any religion. It doesn't matter. Live any way that you want. Be happy in life. We can bring reproof to them. We can tell them that it was Jesus. Hours before he went to the cross, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say he was a way. No one comes to the Father except through me. And on that cross, as he cried out, it is finished. He breathed his last, put into a tomb, and he rose again, and he validated what he did on the cross and dying for your sin and my sin. And he is the way to salvation. Faith in Jesus Christ. And we can tell people the good news. The scriptures are profitable for correction and instruction in righteousness. It deals with the person's conduct, and we see, I think, very clearly that Paul's teaching is you cannot have proper and right conduct without right and proper doctrine. Proper theology will tell us how to live that abundant life, how to live in in proper conduct, how we can bring correction to people. Correction is how to live right and instruction in righteousness, how I can continue to do that. Don't buy into just live any way that you want to. We're called to a higher way of living. 
It saddens me. And I say this very humbly. How more and more Christians are buying into just live any way you want. You can live with your boyfriend, girlfriend. It doesn't matter. You know, you can go out and live this way. And It is a deception of the enemy. Paul, he is one that said to be spiritually minded is life. To be carnally minded is death. If you decide to live after the world, you're just going to reek of death in your heart and in your soul. And you're going to reap corruption because we know that Galatians tells us, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. If you sow unto the spirit of the spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. If you sow unto the flesh of the flesh, you'll reap corruption. Every single one of us are under that law. There's no exception. I want to know how to live right. I want to live in freedom. I don't want to be in bondage to the deception of the world. Aren't you glad that we have God's word to live the life the way it was meant to be lived? We don't have to live in that deception or deceit. We don't have to be in darkness. We don't have to be confused. We don't have to live in foolish ways because we have God's word. We don't have to embrace the the philosophy of the world, the weirdness of the world. We can avoid the many pitfalls in life. And then Paul tells us that scripture is profitable so that the man or woman of God may be complete. That is mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. As we learn the word of God, it matures us as a Christian. I want you to always remember this. There's no other shortcut, no other way to grow than to be growing in the word of God. And you and I, if we are not in the word of God, you will not grow in your Christian life. And second of all, you will get deceived. There's too many false voices out there. And we must avoid that which is false. Not to be polluted by culture. Not to be pressured into accepting it. To compromise what we know to be true. But devote ourselves to the word. And then we can be equipped for these difficult days that we are in. Amen? All right. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this word given to us that is so important. We want to be established in your word that is inspired all of it. So Lord, I thank you for today's reminder. That is true, the last days are perilous. More of an attack on the word of God those having a form of godliness but denying its power, the counterfeits, corrupt minds. We know that evil men and imposters are growing worse and worse. But we must continue in the scriptures because it has the power to change lives. The gospel has the power to save. May we always stand on the word of God. And I just want to pray. Right now, if any of you are here and you're buying into the deception of the world or culture, you're being deceived. You can live any way you want. You can believe what you want. 
whatever it may be, you know that it's contrary to what the Word of God says. Turn away from it. The Lord loves you so much that he doesn't want you to be in bondage or be hurt by sin and carnality and be cheated by the world's philosophy, traditions of men, that which is not of Christ. He loves you so much that he says that this is his love, that we keep his commandments, and it's not burdensome to you. It's to free you, a better way of living. We talk about joy and peace and goodwill in this time of the year. It will not come unless you embrace him personally in the word of God. So if you are here and you know the Lord's been dealing with you with compromise or sin and carnality, embracing that which is false, turn away, confess it, repent. That if we confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't go the direction you're going. And I also want to pray for anyone who's here that you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. He is our salvation, your salvation. There's none other. He went to that cross, beaten and scourged down the Via Della Rosa, the way of sorrows, and out to Damascus Gate and was pinned to a cross, and he was thinking about you. He knew that you would be here on this December morning, and he says, I love you, and I died for you that you might have forgiveness of sin and right relationship with the Father. He rose from the grave. He validated what he did on the cross. And as I've said, there's many, many religions, but only one empty tomb. And the invitation is for you to come, to repent, change directions, quit going the direction you're going and turn to him. Call out to him. And you can do that sincerely in your heart. You can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask for you, give me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me, specifically, individually. Forgive me of my sins. And I ask that you would be my Lord and Savior because I know you're alive. You rose from the grave. And I thank you for this new beginning, for saving me. Help me to learn of you and walk with you all the days of my life in this new beginning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. For all of us, may we leave this place just being established in your truth and having confidence that this book that we carry in and read and study is God-breathed and given to us and is eternal and doesn't change. So I thank you for this wonderful reminder today. Bless everyone here as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? May the Lord bless you as you go your way. Remember these cards that are available. Love to see you. Invite somebody. Next week we'll talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ and the millennium reign. Looking so forward to it. And then we'll celebrate the birth of Jesus. And we'll close the year out by Let Us Not Sleep, the final teaching of this series. So if you need prayer for anything, please come forward. 
we want to pray for you. We've got a prayer team. Also, if you made a decision for the Lord, we want to hear from you. If you're online, you made a decision, we'd love to, to encourage you and bless you any way that we can. So we're going to close in song. Luke.